Hey everybody, Tom here. From wherever you are tuning into this, just want to welcome you. Uh, this is our second week now in this series of messages that we have titled Home Sweet Home. And uh, this is a series that we're actually going through together with our, uh, our, our spiritual family in uh, Restored Church Uptown in San Diego and Harbor City Church in Durban, South Africa. And uh, this series, the heart behind this series is, is, is it's all about bearing good spiritual fruit at home. Uh, because of what we're facing collectively with the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, we're all stuck in our homes, living that quarantine life, and it is presenting unique challenges uh, to our discipleship to Jesus. And the home has really become the, the primary environment where our discipleship to Jesus has worked out. So we came together and, and said, okay, how can we be really practical and really intentional about designing some of these messages all with the heartbeat of abiding in Jesus and bearing good spiritual fruit while we're living a unique season in our homes a lot of the time, okay? So before I introduce uh, your speaker this morning, Andy Rogers, our friend and brother, I just want to take a moment and remind everybody uh, kind of the direction that we feel like God is pointing us in during this season. We really believe that God is is kind of highlighted three areas that aren't gonna, they're not, they're not like a departure from their regular Christian life, um, but he's really highlighted three areas to focus in on in this season. Prayer, worship, and service, okay? Prayer, crying out to God, listening to him, um, worship, uh, ascribing the most worth to him. That involves like praising him through our voices and singing, absolutely, but it's definitely not limited to that. Um, I've been watching and, and seeing many of you practicing gratitude every single day, whether it's posts on social media or things like that. Such an encouragement, such an awesome example of what we're talking about here with this idea of ascribing worth to God, praising Him for who He is, for what He's done. And one of the main ways that we do that is, is with gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts for the many blessings that He has given to us, namely Jesus. Okay, so prayer, worship, and service, the third one, service there. Um, just working together to meet the practical needs in our community, um, inside of our church and outside of our church in our, in our valley. So I just wanna put that in front of you again to just kind of be a refresher to all of us. Many of you guys are doing um, some pretty inspiring and amazing things each day um, in your desire to follow Jesus in these three specific areas. But I wanted to put those in front of you and ask something of you. Um, I wanna ask you in your prayer times each day, actually today, the day that you are tuning into this, I wanna ask you to carve out some time, not to try to find time, but to actually make the time to sit in prayer, engaging with God, just in the, in the quiet and the stillness. If it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, if it's, if it's an hour, it doesn't matter, either way. Sit in the quiet and the stillness and engage with Him and listen to God. And I want you to ask Him something specific. I wanna invite you to ask Him God, how would you have me encourage someone in my community? And then just listen to what he has to say. I really believe that God is stirring up a hunger in us as a church in this season. And I think that one of the ways that he's um, wanting to solidify our church and strengthen our church is the ways that we practically pray for each other. The ways that we practically encourage and minister to each other. So I wanna ask you today to carve out some time Listen to God on behalf of somebody in your community. God, how would you, ha how would you have me um, express encouragement to this person? Maybe it's, um, uh, maybe God brings uh, a scripture to mind. 
Maybe God uh, makes you aware of an area that that person um, would need some practical encouragement with their identity in Christ, that they're a son or they're a daughter. Um, ways that he would have you reinforce the beautiful truths of the gospel of Jesus in their heart and in their mind. Shoot them a text, shoot them an email. Uh, give them, if you, if you want to go big, do a Zoom call or a FaceTime or a phone call or whatever. Let God lead you in how to encourage somebody in your community through prayer, okay? That's the, that, that's the request to you today. You are going to now hear from our dear friend and brother, Andy Rogers. He has the privilege of leading uh, Restored Church Uptown. He's the lead pastor there. He leads the church along with his wife, Jackie. They are a gift. Um, and there's something that you need to know about Andy. Uh, Andy has a, um, a huge reverence for the gospel of Jesus and a huge desire to see the gospel of Jesus be the center of all things in the life of the church. Okay, And he's a man who sacrificed a lot, gives a lot of his time, his energy, his resources um, to strengthen the church, uh, and specifically in this area of not moving on from the gospel and letting the truths of who God is and what he's done like really bear fruit in our lives. So he is um, a great example of someone who we would want to listen to in this season as he's going to share about he's going to share about the heart. He's going to share about how uh, the circumstances that we're all facing they actually they have a way of revealing some things about our heart uh, that can be really really helpful to us in this season as we navigate our discipleship to Jesus inside of our homes. So, without further ado, uh, I want to hand things off to Andy. Restore Church. I love you. I miss you. Um, and until we can meet again, know that you're loved. Um, what's up, everyone? Uh, good morning. Uh, to those of you in Durban, how's it? Um, I just want to say, hey, my name is Andy, and uh, I obviously restore, lead Restore Church Uptown in San Diego. And um, we are in week two of our Home Sweet Home series. And, um, and, and I just wanted to explain why we're doing that series before we dive into our time of teaching today, kind of a reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. And the idea is this, is that the world is freaking out with the coronavirus pandemic. And it feels, honestly, at times like it's falling apart. And in the midst of all of that, the majority of our time is being spent in quarantine or shelter in place, or in South Africa, they call it, um, it's pretty hardcore, under, being under lockdown. And so we're going, how do we, as, as followers of Jesus, how do we grow spiritually in the middle of this thing? A pandemic outside, frustration, confusion, boredom inside. And so this series is called Home Sweet Home. Uh, before I dive into um, kind of like our big points today, I wanted to read from John chapter 15. I wanted to read some of Jesus's words, and these are words he spoke on his last night before he went to the cross. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, he says, Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Or as other translations say, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the thing about branches is that they get their power to bear fruit by being connected to something greater than themselves, something larger than themselves. The way that they bear fruit is being connected to something else. And the other thing about the fruit that comes off of those branches is the fruit isn't grown for the branch. The, the, the fruit comes off the branch, but then is a blessing to those around it. And, and I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me such a picture 
of what this can look like in our lives in this season. I'm praying that we would be a people with deep roots that are unshakable in this season. A people living from the security we have in, I, we have in Jesus, not living a life frantically searching for security like the world around us is, so that our lives can be a blessing to those around us, filling their baskets with the fruit of God's Spirit. And so I have this vision of the members of our churches as disciples of Jesus standing out in our culture, secure when the ground is shaking and at the same time bearing fruit for the glory of Jesus and the good of our neighbors. And lately, most of our neighbors are like in our house, our roommates, our friends, our family, our our spouses, our, our kids, our siblings. And so um, what we wanted to do was look at how do we grow spiritually during this time in lockdown. And as a starting point to talk about how we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be focusing in on Galatians chapter 5, where Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. But before Paul lays out what what a life looks like walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to contrast it with another way of life. It's like there's this this path of walking in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And then there's another path that is walking in or living out of the flesh. These are like two different frameworks for life. One framework is like life without God, life on my own. And the other one is, is letting the life of God flow through you, to do something in you and through you. Okay, so I want to unpack some of this stuff. So if you have Bibles at home, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 our entire time of teaching today. So if you have Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. I'll give you a second to find it. And we're going to be starting in verse 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. And, And in it, Paul writes this. He says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. And so quick context on the book of Galatians. Uh, The Galatian church was planted in modern-day Turkey by the Apostle Paul, likely while he was stuck there recovering from an injury. And this is kind of classic Apostle Paul, but he's like in the hospital, he's, he's, he's getting better, and he's like, man, I might as well preach the gospel and make some disciples, get a community up and running before I move on. And so he gets a community going, he moves on, and then word gets back to him, uh, most likely from some leaders in that church, that some, some guys came in after him with a different message, a different gospel. And, and gospel means good news. And Paul says they actually come in with something that's not the gospel. It's not good news. And so these guys came in. Scholars call these guys the Judaizers uh, because they, they wanted these new followers of Jesus to not only believe in Jesus as Messiah and Lord and Savior and follow him. They, they also said, man, to be made right with God, it's not enough to believe in Jesus and trust in what he did on the cross and in his resurrection. It's not enough to, to follow his teachings as a response to his love. You have to obey the law to earn a relationship with God, to maintain a good standing with God. And so word gets back to Paul about this, and Paul is heartbroken, he is angry, because they're now living as if what Jesus did on the cross counts for nothing. Their spirituality is now performing for love instead of responding to love, and that's so different. We know a healthy Marriage isn't one where you perform for love and earn love. It's one where you love one another and you keep responding to that love willingly. 
And Paul is like, listen, we, we don't obey to gain God's love. We obey because we have God's love in Jesus. And, and guys, we don't obey the law in our own power. We listen to the Holy Spirit in, in response to what Paul is saying there. The Galatians who have been influenced by these false teachers, they likely start asking questions that religious people often ask anytime the gospel of grace is preached. And they're asking questions like this. If we tell people that God loves them regardless of their performance because of what Jesus has done for them, what motive will they have to obey God? If they aren't afraid of God's punishment, they're not afraid of his wrath anymore, how will we convince people to obey? Won't people start you know, kind of wilding out, taking advantage of grace, doing their own thing? And, and Paul, also this Holy Spirit thing. Won't people take advantage of this idea of listening to the Spirit or, or living by the Spirit? Aren't they going to start saying things like, the Holy Spirit told me he wants me to be happy. So I'm going to abandon my kids and my spouse because they're a huge responsibility and don't always make me happy. And I'm going to run away with a lover who makes me happy. Or people will say things like, the Holy Spirit told me to be wise and hoard all my money even though I have five times what I need right now. Or the Holy Spirit wants me to be true to myself and express my feelings no matter what so I can scream at my spouse or my kids regardless of how it makes them feel or how it impacts or wounds them. It doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit wants me to express myself. And Paul is like, no, 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 no. If we are living out of Jesus's love and we're walking in the power of the Spirit, you will love God and love people radically. He, said, he talks about this idea of faith working itself out in love, which means I trust God so much, faith, that I can love you sacrificially. I trust him so much that I can love you radically. And so Paul's saying, if you've been forgiven by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit, you will use your freedom to love and serve others, not as an excuse to live a life of sin, dysfunction, or brokenness. But you'll be empowered to live a life of righteousness and love and beauty and goodness. The Spirit always leads you into more freedom from your flesh. He never signs on to lies from your flesh. And so the reason why we're excited about this series, that's not a very upbeat start, but the reason why we're excited about this series is that living in quarantine or lockdown nonstop is probably starting to reveal that you operate more in the flesh than you would like to admit. That I operate in the, in the flesh more than I would like to admit. It's like these current circumstances and challenges these current pressures and pains in this season are exposing, exposing where we have been living according to the flesh. It's almost like small, fine cracks that are in like a piece of pottery. And, and, and it's almost like the circumstances of this season of, of the coronavirus pandemic are heating up that piece of pottery, that jar of clay, and the, the cracks are getting big and very visible. The COVID-19 pandemic and having to stay home isn't making our flesh worse, but it may show us where we are still living in the flesh, where we're still trying to live independently from God in his ways or in our own power. <clears throat> Something you may or may not know about me is I have had severe asthma my entire life. As a matter of fact, I've been hospitalized for asthma over 15 times. And during an asthma attack, your airways become swollen and inflamed. The muscles around um, your airways contract, causing your, your breathing tubes, your bronchial tubes to narrow, meaning there's less 
room for air to get through. It's like the, the pipes being tightened and it's hard for air to get in. And the thing about COVID-19 is it's also a respiratory condition that makes it hard to breathe. And, and for the last few weeks, I, if I'm honest, I've lived with a fear that if I got COVID-19, that the virus would take something that was already a chronic weakness, my asthma, my, my, my lungs, and overwhelm me with something acute, COVID-19, that could then devastate me physically. That the, that the coronavirus would expose a weakness I already had. And I think what I've been nervous about in the physical, many of us have been feeling in the spiritual. It's like there are these areas where you already feel weak and now you feel even weaker. If you struggle with anger, you are now more tempted than ever to spew it on your family. If you struggle with a certain addiction, the lure, the lure of things like too much alcohol or binge eating or pornography or, or, or online gambling feels stronger than ever. If you struggle with wanting to be better than everyone else and stand out, you might feel invisible these days just being in your house and the temptation to promote yourself and obsess over yourself on social media, it's growing and it feels more and more legitimate. If you struggle with control, you may find yourself wanting to hoard money or to take matters into your own hands in a way that leaves people around you feeling hurt and used. And so these areas where we already have felt weak, maybe we feel even weaker right now. And on top of that, our, our, our chronic manageable pet sins seem to have gotten bigger. In this season, it's like your fleshly desires are being exposed as having gotten bigger than you realized. My, my wife and I, about a year ago, we went to a big cat sanctuary in San Diego. Uh, I know this is kind of a weird thing to talk about today with like Netflix's Tiger King show, which I'm not endorsing, um, but it's a legit sanctuary in San Diego. Um, the courts actually send exotic animals uh, to that sanctuary when they've been abused by their owners or their owners can no longer take care of them. And so um, this is a legit sanctuary for the record. But, but that being said, while we were there, we learned at that sanctuary that there are more tigers in people's private homes in America today than live in all of India in the wilds. Um, typically what happens is, is people, they bring a baby tiger into their home. Uh, they're cute. They, they look manageable uh, and cuddly. And when they're a baby and they're all cute, they miss the potential danger of these wild animals because they seem so small and like controllable. But what invariably happens is the tigers grow up and they get big. And while they are still beautiful and majestic looking, they become super dangerous. And on top of that, they require to be fed more and more and more and more. And so the danger goes up and the costs go up the longer you have these pets in your house. And so what once seems so small, cute, and manageable becomes a nightmare. Usually, usually well before they're found out in the court's mandate that they, they, that they have to do this, they often turn to the animal sanctuaries and say, can you take this tiger off our hand before tragedy strikes so we go bankrupt? And so during this time in quarantine, the pressure of the situation may be taking a weakness your flesh already had and multiplying its impact on you. Or it may be revealing that your flesh has gotten bigger and is requiring, more, is requiring more of you than ever before. And again, this process can be scary. It's why most of us avoid slowing down to take stock of who we really are and what we really want. But in this season where our flesh and its desires are being painfully exposed, and I know that is hard and humbling and scary, and we want to run from it, 
as leaders, we see this as a unique opportunity to learn how to walk in the spirit, a skill that's going to serve us well after this pandemic is over. Right now, let's jump into verse 16, Galatians 5, verse 16. It says, I say then, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so part of believing in Jesus is being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the flesh is still there drawing us back to our old selfish way of life. And to be clear, the flesh is not your physical body. Christianity has been accused of being like anti-physical bodies, and it's not. God created our bodies, and they're, what they, they're, they're amazing. They're, they're, they're fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, when I say flesh, I don't mean skin and muscle. Um, in the New Testament, when he uses the word flesh, it's almost always referring to your old sinful self marred by the fall. The flesh is the thing embedded within you, the broken, sinful, dysfunctional part of you that was driving you at the times of your life that you look back on and ask yourself, what was I thinking? The part of you that is fundamentally selfish, a part of you that doesn't want to love God or love the people around you. And so it's so warring within all of us every day are these desires of this flesh I just talked about. And they're at war with the desires of the spirit dwelling within us. And so there's the spirit, a.k.a. the new you, that was created at the moment of your new birth. The new you, again, not foreign to you, it's actually you, just like the flesh is actually you. The spirit is the part of you that wants to do what is right. The part of you committed to loving God, to loving the people around you, the part of you that is generous, the part of you that is committed to truth and beauty and justice and grace, the part of you that wants to become like Jesus. So every day there is a war going on in our hearts, and it's you versus you. Um, there's a we weird scene in the old movie Fight Club where Ed Edward Norton fights himself. That's, it's kind of like that. The part of you that wants what is wrong, false, and ugly Versus the you who wants what is so right, true, and beautiful. Again, the you that looks like Jesus. And this is a picture of the life of a disciple of Jesus. We have a simultaneous desire to love Jesus and practice his ways. And at the same time, a desire to run my own life, do my own thing, and indulge the flesh. What's being described in this passage is a battle of desire. And the word for desire here is the Greek word epithumia. And thumia is a word that means desires, and epi means big. Think of the English word epic. Epic desires, basically. Over desires. Desires on steroids. These are lusts that have grown to, to things like addictions, um, unhealthy relational patterns or obsessions. The desire has a source, and that source is the flesh, Paul says. So there's this battle raging inside of us. And I just want to speak to some of you who are discouraged by this battle. I want to say that it's actually evidence that you have been born again, that you have been made right with God. I've sat with a ton of people in their sin, and they'll confess, they'll confess lust or anger or control or gossip with tears in their eyes. And they often say something like, man, I'm so bummed that I keep sinning in this way. And so many of them have been in tears. They go, man, how can I be a true disciple of Jesus if I fall this often? And I tell them all some variation of the same thing. I've never met a person who is not a follower of Jesus, who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, who weeps over their sin, not just the consequences of their sin. 
Everyone hates the consequences of sin. No one wants to go to jail or be banished or alienated or rejected or whatever it is. So it's one thing to hate the consequences of sin, but if you hate the sin and want to stop apart from the consequences, you know Jesus. Even if it's a sloppy fight, you lose at times. If there's a presence of a struggle, this probably means you have a war within, which means you are a real Christian, not a fake one. People who don't struggle with sin, they're not super saints. They're not followers of Jesus. If there's no inner war, right? It's not that there's no sin, it's that you're not even aware of your sin because you're swimming in it. But if you have some battle scars, you need to know that that's the mark of a true disciple. So please don't be discouraged if you have a fight with sin on your hands, but you have to actually fight. There is no such thing as cruise control discipleship. You have to stay active and alert in this battle that's raging within. You have to actively battle the desires of the flesh flesh, and actively cultivate the desires of the spirit. Before we get into that, though, um, Paul's going to lay out what living a life in the flesh looks like. We'll jump to verse 19. Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul lays out what the over-desires look like. And most scholars think he, he kind of lays them out in four different categories. There are sexual over-desires. There are religious over-desires. There are relational over-desires. And there are over-indulging over-desires. And right now in quarantine, all of these things are active in us, Right? Um, uh, I, I saw, I think Grant referenced it, la- referenced it last week, but on Twitter they had kind of an infograph of uh, a really big pornography website, and they looked at their web traffic, and it had exploded since the quarantine has started. So you see these, these sexual over-desires, and the only way that they can really manifest right now, they're manifesting that way. People going into debt, paying for, for webcam shows, um, people just diving into that um, thing. And also people risking quite a bit to, to see people for random sexual pursuits. So th- those over-desires are happening. There are also religious over-desires. And some of these uh, might, might look to things, they might seem kind of silly or random or old, like witchcraft. Like, dude, who's, who's doing witchcraft these days? And I just want to say, witchcraft is just the idea that you want to seek to manipulate or control God. That's the heartbeat of witchcraft, is is trying to get the divine to do what you want or to make it happen. And how many of us right now are trying to control God or or trying to get him to do what we want? Or how many of us are are just trying to control the world and act like we are God? And then we see the the relational over-desires, the way that our flesh is, is fighting for position or prominence, acceptance or control, and the way it destroys our relationships with people. This is the, the part of us that, that can't apologize, the part of us that gossips, the part of us that um, creates a frenemy relationship with our spouse, the part of us that's always competing and comparing, that's always trying to justify ourselves, the part of you that says all kinds of awful things to those around you that you regret. It's like you just, you can't control your tongue, you're saying the wrong stuff all the time, and it's, it's not that you 
didn't mean to, you, you want to. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes we, we wound those closest to us that we're in relationship with. Uh, and that would be a relational over-desire. There's also the overindulging over-desires. These are out of control right now. Talking to so many of you guys. Binge eating, Netflix. Um, uh, we, we are not a church that's afraid or a family of churches that's afraid of drinking alcohol. But people have really dove in and they're drinking just too much. They're not taking care of themselves. And so... You, you see how this overindulging, you're looking for comfort outside of, of Jesus. You're looking for comfort um, removed from him, and it never actually brings the comfort. It doesn't bring it for very long. So it's pleasurable, but it doesn't satisfy. You always have to go back for more. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to end my life walking in the flesh, living in the flesh. I, I don't want to become a person who is far from God, isolated from people, bitter, addicted to substances, using people for sex and money, and I'm anxious about my future, the life that's described here, a life of chaos and sadness, a life of addiction. Again, the flesh promises self-fulfillment, but it always leads actually to self-destruction. No one takes heroin for the first time to end up on the street addicted or dead. They want to feel good, and none of those things feel good. No one, no one pursues new sexual experiences to end up feeling cheap, used, or ashamed. No one gossips to lose their friends. No one becomes a workaholic to save up money so that their kids will hate them. So that's where that path will take us. It's, it's who we become is on the line if we, if, we, if we don't seek to put to death the desires of the flesh, to actively fight them. We can't live in cruise control and drive down that road. But there's also in this text an invitation to become someone new. And this is where I want to close our time. It's actually looking at the fruit of the Spirit, looking at the life we're called to. And so now we're going to move into um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. All right, so we're going to, we're going to keep going. And um, I want to look not just, uh, we've already looked at the way of the flesh. And now what I want to do is look at the invitation to the way of the spirit and what that looks like. So Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, a couple of things I want to say about the fruit of the spirit. The first one is this is it's Fruit, not fruits, plural. Don't think apple, orange, banana. Think the different aspects of an orange. The color, the texture, the taste. And really the reason why it's fruit, not fruits, is it's the character, all-encompassing character of Jesus. Jesus is, is the, the epitome of the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is just a description of his character. It's all one thing if you look at Jesus. Jesus was full of joy. He was often at parties eating and drinking with sinners so much so that they thought he was a drunkard or a glutton. You cannot accuse someone of being a drunkard or a glutton unless they party. Again, he wasn't any of those things. He had self-control, but he had no problem experiencing joy. He, he definitely had self-control, though. Not only did he never engage in gluttony or drunkenness or sexual sin, it was self-control that kept him on the cross. As the nails were being driven through his wrist, People were mocking him. If you're really the son of God, come down. 
But it wasn't a lack of ability or weakness that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love and self-control. Paul is saying that people who naturally would be bent towards the works of the flesh can over time be remade into the image of Jesus, the character of Jesus. The goal of our spiritual growth isn't knowing more Bible or praying better or longer or talking about Jesus uh, more often or whatever. It's, it's loving Jesus and becoming like Jesus. He's the goal. And, and, and if we're becoming like Jesus, so we, if we're becoming like him, we'll be growing in all of it. That's another key thing. We, we, do not, we do not get to say if Jesus is our Lord, if he is our master. I'm not the gentle type. It's not me, man. No, 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 no. Jesus is gentle. So you're called to become gentle, to crucify your desire, to, to, to dominate people, or to be tough. And by the way, gentleness isn't weakness. It's strength under control. You might go, I'm not the lovey-dovey type. I'm not really emo. No, you're called to listen to people and engage with their hearts, to engage with their emotions, to care for them. I'm not the kind of person who follows through on stuff. No, no, no. Jesus had self-control. You're called to have self-control. Um, the other thing I want you to see is that growing in every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, growing in every aspect of Jesus' character will help you in every struggle you face. That's why you don't pick one. For example, let's say I've used this analogy, I've used this example already, but let's say you are really wrestling with anger and you get, you, you've been furious lately with your roommates or your family or your friends. You've been yelling at them and saying stuff you regret saying. If you grew in love, would it help you not do that? If you grew in joy, would it help you not do that? If you grew in peace, would you be less likely to do that? If you grew in patience, would you be less likely to do that? If you grew in goodness or kindness, would you be less likely to do that? If you grew in self-control over your tongue, would you be less likely to do that? And the answer is, yeah, you'd be less likely to do that. All of those would be helpful. Becoming like Jesus would help determine um, what would, would impact what you do, would, 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 would keep you from the works of the flesh. The last thing I want to say is we don't develop the fruit by obsessing over our lack of fruit, but by abiding in the vine, by connecting to Jesus. Um, I have, I have, my backyard has an orange tree and a lemon tree, and I've never, when I've walked around my yard, I've never heard the trees straining. I've never heard the branches going, orange, exerting, you know, strength or whatever, um, but, but, but they don't do that. But what they do do is they maintain a connection to the, the tree, to the nutrients, to the soil, to the root system, to the rest of the tree. And then fruit just happens. It's not by obsessing or navel gazing about, you know, looking at our lack of fruit that we grow. It's by connecting ourselves to, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and remain in me, there'll be much fruit. But if not, there, there, there won't be. And so the key to, to seeing fruit happen isn't obsessing about the lack of fruit. It's by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's by connecting to Jesus. This might feel like a crude analogy, but, but you, don't have a, you don't make a baby by thinking about babies. Um, you, you're, you're, you're enthralled with the one that you're with. Um, so, so our goal is not to bear fruit. Our goal is to connect to Jesus, to connect to the vine. 
And so you want to be engaging what we call intimacy building practices. And, and the big one I want to talk about, you know, there's different ones we do. There's worship and there's Sabbath and um, there, are, there are Sunday morning gatherings and there's GCs and there's Bible readings, all that stuff. But I want to talk about um, one specific practice and that's just prayer. Connecting to Jesus. I want to challenge everyone listening to this, at least for the time of quarantine. I think it'll grow if you do it during quarantine. Um, but just to spend two times a day in prayer for at least 10 minutes. And it can be two different types of prayer. Don't think you're reading a, a grocery list of requests and needs. But I would encourage you to, to, to pray um, once in the morning and once in the evening. Um, I know you, you might be thinking, I have no time for that. I've got kids. I've got school. I've got work. I've got all this stuff. But I would just say, again, if you think about how important this is and the life that you want to live and who you want to become, there's nothing. This, this couldn't be more important. And so it, it will come down to you prioritizing it. But I would encourage you once in the morning, once in the evening. Uh, once in the morning, you might have to do this get up before your kids by maybe 30 minutes and, and go, man, I got to get this 10 minutes in with Jesus. And it could be using uh, the devotionals on the Restored Together website. Um, it could be going through CBR or another Bible reading plan, but with the Lord, worshiping him, um, speaking to him. Um, Justin Early, Tim Keller, and John Mark Comer, all very different dudes, all recommend that you do this before you look at your phone, Bible before phone, prayer before phone. If you want time with Jesus to impact how you read the news, how you engage social media, how you engage your work and your kids, before you hit the hard parts of life, you want to have been with him. And, and I want to challenge you to, to, to pray once in the evening. And I want to challenge you to use a, a prayer tool called the Daily Examine. And you can look this up. Um, we have a blog on the Restore Together website. Uh, it's called How Praying at Night Could Change Your Life. Um, I wrote it and I mostly just quoted a book um, by a guy named Pete Gregg. But um, he did a refreshed version of the Daily Examine, kind of for modern people. And um, he says this, he, he says every day you want to pray and you want to go through kind of four sections. And so what you want to do is you want to sit with God and process the day you just lived with him. And he's got four sections. Uh, the first one is replay. And you're kind of doing this concurrently with the next two. It might sound a little confusing, but I'll explain it. Replay, go through your day and just ask the question, man, Lord, where, where were you? Where were you today? Um, what happened today? And it might be hard to remember. One one uh, priest um, compared this to rummaging through a drawer, trying to find things. And so you're kind of rummaging through your day, asking um, not why did you do that, God, but where where were you today, God? What were you up to? Um, uh, most people think that the easiest way to do that is um, by doing it chronologically, or it's pretty hard to, to remember. So you just kind of work through your day, maybe even look at your schedule. God, here's what was up today. And as you're replaying the day, you also want to uh, do two other things. The first one is rejoice. Um, as you work through the day, um, there's going to be a lot of things that you can be thankful for. It could be your kid giving you that hug. It could be the text from that person. It could be a good cup of coffee. It could be uh, uh, some music you listened to that was beautiful. It could be the, 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 the sound of, of rain outside. It could be just... It, what is there that you can be grateful for? It's not all good. It's not all easy. But where, was, what, what are some things that God was up to today? Were you just aware of his presence or his love? A spiritual director named David Benner says this. He says, unwelcome circumstances are not gifts, but they may contain a gift. So even as you think through the day, what are you grateful for? What do you see God working? The other thing I want to say, or the other thing, so there's replay, rejoice, 
and then repent. So, so, so we're going to see some amazing things during the day that, w- that we're like, oh, that was pretty amazing. I'm grateful for that. You will also, as you replay your day, see things that you need to repent of. Words you regret saying, selfish attitudes you took, beautiful deeds you felt called to do that you didn't do, or really awful or just selfish uh, run-of-the-mill things that you did do or did say. And um, uh, I'm assuming that most of you guys take a shower or a bath on the regular. Um, you know, sweat, dirt, all that stuff gets going, and you want to um, right take a shower. You want to get clean. And um, repentance is a time to confess. It's a time to kind of spiritually get cleaned. And um, Pete Gregg says this about this. He says, without this discipline, you will begin to stink. Behaviors that you, spiritually, behaviors that you once, that once would have seemed shameful or even shocking will become tolerated, accommodated, and eventually normalized as your conscience is numbed. But by confessing your sins regularly, your life will smell sweet. You will be healthy and holy, a little bit more like Jesus each day. And during the repentance time, I think it's a really good time to ask God, is there anyone he wants you to apologize to or anything he wants you to confess to others? This will do wonders not only for your spiritual health, but your relational health. So you replay the day, and as you do, you go, Lord, what was good about today? And what do I need to repent of that happened today? You want to keep a short account with God. And then last but not least is, is, is reboot. And Pete Gregg uh, says that uh, you want to reboot, you want to look towards the next day and ask God, um, is there anything that you want me to do tomorrow? Help me to live faithfully tomorrow. Is there anyone you want me to bless tomorrow? Is there anyone you want me to apologize to tomorrow? Is there, is there, is there um, anything you want to teach me tomorrow or pursue tomorrow? And then asking him, Lord, would you help me live for your glory tomorrow? Would you help me love people tomorrow? And so replay, rejoice, repent, reboot. And as we do that, again, I think there's a real intimacy we'll build with God. And it's kind of a different type of prayer. It's more contemplative. You're asking God, okay, where were you at? You might not even talk verbally. It could be all in your head. But I would encourage you to, 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 to try praying twice a day. Um, focus on connecting focus on abiding and hopefully we'll see the fruit of the spirit that we're going to teach through these next few weeks really start to happen in our life as we fix our eyes on Jesus hopefully we'll grow in our love for him and we'll become like him and so my challenge to you again restored is man what will it take for you to abide because when you abide you'll get to experience the spirit doing things in you and through you that you never thought were possible I love you guys. Hope you have an amazing week um, pursuing the Father um, because of the Son and the power of the Spirit.